Hi, Story Seeds podcast listeners. Your host, Betsy Bird here. Welcome to our bonus episode. One of my favorite parts of this job is that I get to talk to all the authors we are featuring on the podcast to get behind-the-scenes scoops on their experiences in writing life. Today, I am talking to Carlos Hernandez, author of a Rick Reardon Presents novel, Sal and Gabby Break the Universe. Carlos collaborated with twins Siri and Zarana on their story, Sitaria's Paintbrush. And from the sound of it, it was double the fun. Listen on for our conversation. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today, Carlos. This is this is so much fun. Oh, yeah. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So you got <laughs> you got twins. Yes. <laughs> Nobody else at Story Seeds has ever gotten twins before. So they must have been like this guy. He can handle twins. We're, gonna, we're not going to so, give him one kid. We're going to give him two. <laughs> it was so much fun, though. I mean, you know, so Siri and Zerana are just like an excellent twin pair. And uh you could tell immediately they had very different personalities and one is maybe a little more comfortable talking to a stranger that she just met. Another one is a little more introverted, but mm. they worked together just the way that you think twins would work together, you know, where they kind of looked at each other whenever I asked a question to see who would go first and how they were going to answer. And they were extremely courteous to each other and willing to sort of like jump in when they got excited too. So that it's just a very comfortable level that, you know, that, that kind of collaboration is, is just like, you get very lucky when you, when you're related to someone that you can collaborate that well with. That is so true. And now have you ever collaborated with another writer before? Oh, I have. Uh, the reason I am married is because my wife and I collaborated on a story together. We were just Facebook friends and, uh, you know, we were growing better and better friends on, on Facebook. And at one point, Claire said to me, hey, we should we should try writing something together. We did. Uh, we got it published. It's in Clockwork Phoenix 5. It's called The Book of May. And Aww. The Book of May is an epistolary story that we told back and forth, even, each of us taking a position of one of the letter writers. And and after we were done, Claire said, you know, I had so much fun writing in this way to you. I, I want to keep writing. Can I write you like a letter from me? And I was like, heck yeah. And we, we started a correspondence and that developed the friendship further. And yada, yada, yada. We are married two years. That is such a nice how we met story. So you've collaborated with someone before, but your difficulty here was that not only were you collaborating with someone, you're collaborating with younger someone and yep. that someone is two someones yes. who are experts already at collaborating with one another, as you mm -hmm. yourself just mentioned. So how do you break into that? How do you uh, insert yourself into that sort of collaboration? With joy. You know, Aww. to me, the 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 way to begin, you know, a collaboration is with excitement and joy. And and to me, it's just it's very much like the way that good play works, you know, and, and I think that's really what collaboration has to feel like. You know, if it feels like labor, work, negotiation, you know, detente and and and, you know, truces and things like that, then it's not really <laughs> going to work. Instead, what it should feel like is like. Hey, you know, my name's Carlos. My favorite dinosaur is a Stegosaurus. What dinosaur do you like? And and you're off and running. You know, to me, it's like that playful attitude is the thing that makes 
collaboration, especially creative collaboration, really possible. And Siri and Zorana did the same thing. They were, you know, prepared with their story and they're extremely smart. I, I, I just cannot emphasize how mature and smart these girls were. It just blows my mind. And, you know, they, they come from this uh, international background. It's Bangladesh, Australia, and the United States all, you know, like as, as part of their family background. And so they are already very sophisticated and they, and they love telling stories and they're artists. So they're, they're multimodal in the way that they approach it. So to me, the way to approach these talented young women was to say to them, hey, you gave me this story. How can we play together? And, and just started asking them questions that I had about what they wanted to talk about. And, and, you know, they asked me questions back and, and we were off and running fast. Yeah, oh, it was very clear how, how fast it was. And so, you you know, they had this idea and you sort of came in and, and you did such a lovely job of establishing trust right from the start. And, you know, what was there anything in particular that appealed to you about their story idea? Oh, well, I mean, you know, I think one of the things that kids can do that adults have to work to do is they can just sort of like get in touch with their desires very, very quickly and symbolically, you know? So this idea, you know, of a paintbrush that can draw a silhouette that comes to life, it appealed to my imagination immediately. There was one thing that you said to the girls that sort of stuck in my mind where you told them that there's a theory that all art is based on limitations, Mm -hmm. Um, That sort of rules and constraints allow someone to enjoy art even more. I mean, do you have any rules or constraints over what you did with the girls here? Like, were you limited in any way that sort of fashioned your art? Well, I mean, the collaboration is the limitation right at the beginning, right? You know, so like what happens in in a collaboration is that each person is limiting what the others can do in a very conducive kind of way. And and to me, it's like those limitations are what allow for the explosion of creativity. And I'm not sure what I said to the girls, but like, you know, if you think about like what a sonnet is, a sonnet is an extremely rigid form, you know, 14 lines of of rhymed iambic pentameter. And it it is difficult to fit a message into 14 lines of Rhyme iambic pentameter, but that limitation, that that specific formula of of limitation, has created some of the most enduring poetry in Western literature. So, it's mm-hmm. the thing that that we forget. I think in art, we often think, "Oh, art should be free, creative, unlimited." That's not what creativity is. Creativity is using the tools that you have to arrive at a different conclusion or, or a new perspective, a new way of seeing things. Oh, I completely agree. I mean. We often say that, you know, having too many choices is actually more limiting for people in some ways than than having your choices limited. Just when it comes to creativity, I mean, they already had a sort of an idea of what this story was about. You know, they love making visual art, particularly the silhouette paintings, um, and they see other kids their age glued to their cell phones and they find it difficult to connect to them in some way. Well, at its heart, what was this story about to you? So, you know, one of the things that I tried to tell them that they could think about is ways in which they could figure out what the story was about through the discovery of the character. I wanted to focus a little bit more on Sataria's anger because, you know, her her reaction is one of the things that causes the the monster to appear, this, this shadowy creature mm-hmm. that... Um, 
comes out of that. And, and to me, that's really like the most interesting part because the world is going to be full of things that we don't like. How we react to those things will decide whether change happens or whether fights happen. So we know we want to have this message about cell phones, but what can we say about Sataria and Sataria's reaction? Because at the end of the day, she's the one wielding this extremely powerful paintbrush. And that <laughs> paintbrush brings a really scary monster into the world. You know, I think most of those monsters are, are really sweet. They're sweethearts. Uh, yeah. There's only one bad one in the whole bunch. And that's the one that Sataria happens to summon. Did you have a favorite creature that you created as, as part of this? The winged bologna sandwich was, <laughs> was a favorite, I have to admit. How could it not be? Right. Because the only thing that can make a bologna sandwich better is to give it wings. I mean, I'm not sure how edible it is at that point, but it certainly <laughs> is entertaining to behold. Exactly. So you're a game designer. I've worked on video games. Uh, I was uh, just a, a game that just came out uh, for the Nintendo Switch uh, that's called Dear Reader. I was the literary curator on it for some of its... Er, I just, so I did some early work on it. and I've uh, consulted on many, many games, but I... I Lately, I've been working more on card games and board games. And, uh, you know, right now we're in a board game renaissance. It is, oh, it is I know. the time to get the best board games that I think have ever been produced, you know, and, and to, to enjoy them. And role-playing games, too. You know, I've been a role-play gamer since first edition Dungeons and & Dragons. And, uh, you know, and so I, I, I play in a, in a what's called a, a, a 5E uh, D20 world, but it's science fiction, uh, the system called Esper Genesis. And so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big gamer and I, you know, have taken many, many lessons from game design and used them in my writing. For instance... Well, that was what I was going to ask. Yeah. yeah. I mean, does it apply to what you're writing? Uh, not only does it apply, but it, it is in some ways the most challenging writing. I think the hardest projects I've ever had to do have involved writing game rules. Game rule writing is some of the most difficult, exacting work that I've ever had to do. And let me tell you, just like if you've ever tried to explain to somebody simply and quickly how to play a game, you will discover how hard it is to do. Oh, yeah. Well, that makes sense to me. Um, and so that's sort of part of your writing process, I would I would take it to a certain extent. Absolutely, um, because in yeah. game design, what you do is you iterate. You know, nobody thinks that the first time that they come up with a couple of mechanics and slam them together, they're going to have a finished game. But for some reason, many people think that the first draft that they write should be the last draft or else they're not good writers. And so, you know, it is extremely important as a writer to be able to draft, collaborate with editors. Right now I'm getting, uh, you know, the the final edits in for Sal and Gabby Fix the Universe, the sequel to Sal and Gabby Break the Universe. And, um, you know, my editor told me she loved the book. She loves it. She gave me a long list of all the reasons why she loves this book. And then she gave me, you know, millions and millions of edits. And that's both things can exist at the same time, writers out there. So please just believe that she wasn't lying, that she loved the book. She really did. But there was work to do. And that's that's just part of the process. Oh, sure. And, and you know, talking about your process, you had already sort of mapped out kind of a story arc during your meeting with Siri and Zorana. Is that something that you always do before writing? No, uh, I, not at all. And in fact, so Siri and Zorana, they, they came in 
with most of the the plot done, because what I found is that writing from outline for me, not true of every writer, but for me, it has led me to, you know, feel dissatisfied when I wanted to change something because I thought I had found a better way. What I've discovered is like, you know, usually the things that I love most happen late in the drafting process. You know, that once, once I have learned who these characters are, once I've put some ideas together in the plot, that's when the funniest moments come up, the best lines come up, the, the, the scene. So in Sal and Gabby fix the universe, you know, I, I threw out a hundred thousand words before I got to the hundred thousand words that I'd be submitting to my editor. And now we're reducing it down and shaping it into its final form. And then there was art sort of involved in this whole process. Did visiting the children's museum of the arts, uh, inspire the story or, or shape the meeting in any way? It's such a great space. Like, Everybody who has kids in New York, go there because it is just this magnificent play space for the imagination and is just this magical place, you know, that was full of unusual, inspiring things. So, and they, they put us in a room that Siri and Zorana knew about because they had gone there to do some work creating stop motion videos, you know, so they knew like the, the space already pretty well, which I think was really good because that meant they were a little more comfortable. But the best thing about it was that there was clay on the table and Siri and Zorana spent the entire time while they were talking and thinking, interacting, they were paying attention the entire time, but they were also creating things with that clay. I remember reading something, don't ask me where, but I remember reading something that said that students who doodle uh, can very well retain as much or more information as students who are, in quotes, paying attention because the doodling activates different parts of the brain. But I really saw that in action with these two where they were just creating and creating at the same time that they were creating with me, you know, And, and it's just like, They're just so bright. (laughs) They have all of this excess imagination just ready to deploy in all these different directions at the same time. And they weren't just creating, you know, animals. They they have these characters that they made, like um, Ant KJ, the kooky ant. Um, That seemed seemed like a a part that really kind of appealed to your imagination. Was there something about the ant that you particularly liked? Well, it's an anchor character, right? And so, like, you know, we have our our protagonist who is going to be facing the challenges, but we needed some characters in there to serve as reference. And to me, the kooky people are the best people. Kooky mm-hmm. equals greatness, you know, because that means nonconformist. It means iconoclastic. It means imaginative. It means courageous. And so that's what the ant ends up being uh, in the story. You know, KJ, she, she is a tapestry maker and her next tapestry is going to be the story of the entire world. And the king and queen of Belgium have hired her to make a tapestry, which is why she isn't around for Sataria's birthday and why she invites her into her home to, you know, take this magic paintbrush as her own, you know, and, and, you know, not to spoil too much of the plot, but, but the way that Aunt KJ appears, I think, you know, you need somebody who is in, quotes, kooky, who to be able to materialize in the story the way that she does. I agree. Were you a writer when you were a kid? I was. uh, And so one of the reasons why Story Seeds excited me so much is because I was uh, allowed to read a story on an AM radio station in Sarasota, Florida called WQSA (laughs) when I was in fourth grade. And it was, you know, the story about Crazy Chris. Crazy Chris had magical powers. And so 
this was, you know, at the time, you know, of tensions with Iran and things like that. And so I wrote, you know, this story where, it, you know, it, it pains me now knowing that the world is a much more complex place and there are different sides. But, you know, I imagine that missiles were shot in the air and there was going to be a big, you know, war starting or whatever. But Crazy Chris, he uses his magic powers to turn uh, that those missiles in the air into food and redirect them to countries where people are hungry, you know, and basically uses it to feed, you know, the world a little bit. This is, I think, you know, probably right around the time of like, we are the world. And other things like that, you know, so if not, it was definitely like famines were happening. So like I was, you know, Chris is solving a lot of problems at the same time. And they invited me back a few times and it was, it was, life-changing you know it was just like this glorious moment where I got to project and just imagine all the people out there that I couldn't see who were listening to the story and people were calling in so there was a Q&A session it was great and so I, I was just delighted to be able to give something back to Syrian Zorana that that resembled that experience. That's great. Well, what kept you going? Like, a lot of kids write, but they may just stop at some point and be like, well, I'll never become a writer. So how did you go from being a kid that liked to write to being an adult who actually does write? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I guess what I would say is I had extremely wonderful parents who helped me sort of like just feel good about doing the thing that I wanted to do. And so, you know, uh, I think for a while, I wanted to be a doctor, wanted to be a lawyer, thinking about going to politics. I was in debate club, like going through all these things the way many kids do, but never not thinking that I would be in some way devoted to literature, I think, just because I was just so in love with stories. And so, you know, eventually what I settled on was uh, going into the professoriate just because I really liked being in school, you know, I really liked school. And so that's where I stuck it out. And my, my parents just sort of like, they never questioned and they, they never challenged me on that idea. They were just like, okay, that's the direction you're going to go. You can figure it out from there. And that gave me the, the courage, I think, you know, it just makes such a difference, you know? And so my dad, you know, he, he's a, Cuban immigrant came here, you know, in order to, you know, escape from from Cuba right when Fidel Castro was uh, really on the right. Well, you know, so it's a complicated story. But dad, you know, he basically fled in the in the early 60s uh, after Castro had taken power. And, and when he saw what was happening, came here, went to the University of Chicago taught himself English while he was studying in medical school. And so he'd done a lot of medical work in in Cuba that wasn't really recognized here and was able, while learning the language, to also, you know, get enough of a of a education to put him in a position where he could be a cardiological technician. And so he always emphasized sort of like the the importance of study and, you know, how, what, what kind of avenues get open to you for study. And my mom was just such a storyteller. She was just such a laugher and a person who took joy in other people and had all sorts of stories. So, you know, between the two of them, I was really set up for it. And so like, I guess the question is like, why did I do it? I think I loved it and I never stopped loving it, even as I imagined other careers for myself. And I had parents who supported me. That's great. Well, now let's say that you are writing something and your imagination gets stuck in some way. 
How do you get your imagination unstuck? It's an interesting question. I don't, I don't think imaginations get stuck exactly. Mm-hmm. I think what happens is that we think it's too hard or if it's not working, there's a frustration that, that settles in. But I don't think that's really the imagination that happened, that, mm-hmm. that's working with it. It might just be a problem that with a story that we don't know how to tackle or it might just be a frustration that we're feeling. But the idea is sort of like, it's not sort of like, I'm not creative enough. It's more like, I feel bad. Therefore, right. I'm having trouble right. producing mm-hmm. right now. And so a lot of times, you know, there are many different steps we can take, right? But just taking a break and walking away, sometimes the what Stephen King calls the the boys in the back, I think is what he calls it in his his book on writing, uh, you know, they'll they'll do the work for you a little bit. And so you just free your imagination from the constraints of like, I need to do this right now and, and give it time to work on its own. Showers for me are miracle workers. You know, those are, <laughs> that's where I have a lot yeah. of, of free thinking that will often present a problem, uh, present a solution to a problem that I hadn't seen before. So would you have any creativity uh, exercises that you would recommend to kids who might be listening to this? All right, so kids... Here's what you do. Smash things together. You know, basically, like I think a lot of what creativity is, is taking two unlike things and mooshing them together. So in in the story, Sataria's paintbrush, you're going to see that a lot of monsters are basically mashups of different creatures that exist on Earth and or bologna sandwiches. Uh, but so what you what you do is you you take two unlike things and you bring them together and then you talk about them. That's what mythology often does, you know. So if you think about like the Sphinx, you know, the Sphinx is a mashup creature. The Griffin is a mashup creature. There are all of these different creatures from mythology that are these kind of mashups. And so many of them are sort of like humans with heads of animals. And, and the reason for that is because that was a way of bringing two different ideas together to talk about something that was deeper than either of them. Beautiful. Beautifully said. Well, Carlos Hernandez, thank you so much for talking with me. Oh, thank you so much. Tons of fun. Well, folks, that's all for today. Subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast streaming platform so you can tune in as soon as our newest episodes drop. If you have a stellar story seed and want to be on the show, email us at storyseeds at literarysafari.com. You can also call our hotline at 646-389-5153 and leave a voicemail telling me all about it. Find us on Instagram at storyseedspod and visit our website www.storyseedspodcast.com for behind-the-scenes pictures to join the Story Seeds Society and so much more. Credit to Matt Boynton and Anya Jeshik of Ultraviolet Audio for the sound mixing, design, and score of our bonus episode. Our theme music is composed and performed by Andrew Van Weingarten. And I am your host, Betsy Bird. Story Seeds is a literary safari media production. On Story Seeds, you're in control of your destiny. Adventures you design where your dreams can grow. A little more each time on Story Seeds.